Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Good news. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're so thankful for our youth leaders and uh, all the preparation that John and his leaders uh, did to have the encounter, set it up, uh, bring guests in, and uh, praise the Lord. It has uh, fruit and dynamic results. Praise the Lord. Uh, they'll never be the same. And uh, in that place, you know, being filled with the Spirit of God and entering into that place where they can go beyond their own understanding in praying and pray out the will of God. Sometimes people get, you know, a little bit nervous about that no matter how, you know, you've been taught traditionally, religiously. But really, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that a man that prayeth in an unknown tongue, he edifies himself. But he says when he prays in an unknown tongue, his understanding is unfruitful. In other words, God has made a way for us to pray out divine mysteries. In Colossians chapter 3, it tells us, it says that if we've then been raised with Christ, that we should seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, that we should set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, uh, uh, so that because we died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And it's not hidden from you, but it's hidden for you. Right? It's hidden for you. And so really, mystery means things which are, are hidden, secrets which are hidden. And so when it says that when we pray, a man prays in an unknown tongue, his spirit prays, Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries, or he's praying out mysteries. What he's doing, what you're doing, is you're unfolding in only a way that the Spirit of God can, those things that have been hidden for you in Christ, in God. So the enemy has no access to those plans of God that are in the heart of God. But by the Holy Spirit, the one who knows everything about you. He knows where you've been. He knows the plan for you uh, from conception, even when the Bible says before you were ever born. He knows that. We don't know that. Your mind can't comprehend that. So God made a way for us to pray that out. And the dynamics of that, when you hear, you know what, these kids for the first time began to pray in tongues. Spirit of God came upon them, right? If you're a mom or dad, encourage them in that. Because as they do that, they're going to get out ahead in their life, praying out the mysteries, the things that right now are secret. The enemy doesn't know them. He can't thwart them because he doesn't know them. And by praying in tongues, they begin to pray those out ahead. So when they get there, the enemy still can't thwart them because they've been prayed out. The will of God has been prayed out. Paul told the Roman church, he said, listen, the, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is our weakness? He explains it to us. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. But the Spirit helps us in that weakness by doing what? Causing us to pray in groanings that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. How is it that he's praying out the will of God for the saints? He's praying out the will of God, the plan of God for us, the things that we don't know. Our weakness is we don't know them, but the Holy Spirit does know them. And so the Holy Spirit in our spirit makes an articulation of the things concerning the will of God. And it may not be in our language, but it's something that the Holy Spirit, in the way that only he knows how, articulates through us so that it will be prayed out, brought to pass. And when we arrive at that place, we begin to recognize it if we've been praying. I like what Pastor Mark Brzee says. He says, you know what? In praying, we just begin to, to pound out the things that God ha has called us to do. We begin to break holes in walls that the enemy set up. And we arrive at that place and we go, oh, there's a wall here. We know already. Uh, you know what? I don't have to bang a new hole in the wall. I've done that. All I have to do is move up and down the wall till I find the place that I've already prayed it through. 
and then we go ahead and move through. Amen? So we celebrate in, in really those testimonies for those young people, and uh, parents celebrate that with your kids. Don't make a big deal and make them feel, you know, uncomfortable, but just in your life and rejoice before God at what God is doing in their life, and be thankful. Again, another reason that the local church, the church really is here as a community. Things that they might not have done, thank God for parents who make their kids come. <laughs> Amen. They, now they're thankful for the opportunity. That's, how, how about that honesty and transparency? I'm thankful for the opportunity. Well, my mom made me come, but I'm glad she did. And uh, I can tell you as somebody whose parents made them go to church a lot, I can tell, I tell them now uh, a lot. I'm so thankful that they did. Uh, they didn't just let me do my own thing. They guided me in the way that I should go. And uh, when I grew old, I, I couldn't depart from it. I mean, I tell you, as a teenager, I thought, I can't wait for the day. And I don't have to go to church anymore. My parents moved to Arizona. I stayed in, in uh, Colorado. And I thought, I'm free. I woke up that first Sunday morning, and I was so uncomfortable about just being free to not go to church that I decided, well, I'm free to go to church. And uh, I went, even though it, now it's my choice. It's not my parents' choice. It's my choice. I just had to go to church. It was in, it was in me to do, Right? And so when they're saying they don't like it, you know, we're not trying to be, uh, put them under thumb. We continue to encourage them and tell them why we're having them come. And then even though they think, I'll never do this again, you're putting something in them so they don't depart from it. I mean, my parents, you know, it was a rule of our house. We didn't have big fights over it or anything. He just said, you know, as long as you're living in my house, breathing my air, sleeping in my bed. He said, if you stay out late on Saturday night, okay. But on Sunday morning, you're getting up. And you're going to church. If you want to stop breathing my air, go ahead. But as long as you can, right? It was an explanation we understood. This generation might not understand it as well, but there's a way that you can say, listen, I love you. There's a reason we're doing this. And in the end, you'll thank me for it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now I'm trying to transition from all that. I got all that good stuff that those kids said. I'm just so thrilled for them, glad for them. Praise the Lord. Um, Glory to God. Well, we're going to receive uh, this evening's tithes and offerings. If you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared. Uh, if you're watching online, uh, all the ways to give will go up there. If you're in this room giving by cash or debit or credit card, uh, want a tax receipt for giving, go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. Uh, as I said today, your giving uh, this morning, your giving is, uh, your generosity is so awesome. And uh, it allows us uh, as a church to really be invested not only in, in right here, the things that we're doing right here, uh, ministering to the youth, as you just heard that testimony of your, the effects of, of your giving uh, in the lives of youth. Uh, this weekend, we were able to invest uh, in the Middle East uh, through getting resources out uh, in the Middle East to a number of different uh, places through John and Lisa Bevere's uh, books and ministry and the way they put, they'll put the, the Bible out there in different translations. They have just such a great network. And so your giving, your generosity is, is touching the world, and we're thankful for that. Amen? And the seed that you have in the world will grow up and produce a great harvest. Amen? Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give. We thank you, Father, that as we sow our seed, it really grows up and in a supernatural way brings a produce of the precious fruit of the earth. And so, even though you cause our seed to grow, you said as we plant that seed, as we sow that seed, you'll give more seed to a sower. So sometimes we're looking at this seed to produce something, and we're watching it, but that seed that we sow produces lives and souls saved into the kingdom of God, the precious fruit of the earth. 
So we have our soul and our mind set on our seed producing and affecting lives for the kingdom of God. You give more seed to the sower and bread for food. And we declare that, command that blessing upon each and every one tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You go ahead and pass those buckets. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke, the fifth chapter. We've been spending Sunday night. Really, we've been bouncing uh, back and forth a little bit as uh, we've been out of town. We've been doing different things. Others have been um, sharing. We've been uh, sharing, talking about healing and really healing and faith. And they're really joined together. Healing and faith are joined together. And I uh, really want to break that down and, and look at this. And there's, you know, really something that I, I want to read and understand before we really get into the message t- tonight. Uh, read from um, F.F. Bosworth's book, uh, Christ the Healer. As we look at it, and we look at healing and the atonement. We've covered some things about that. But I, I found this very interesting. It's just a short blurb. But he put, put something in his book. He said, you know, what eminent men have to say about faith. And so I, I was reading that, what they have to say about uh, healing in the atonement, excuse me, not about faith, healing in the atonement. And as I was reading this, I thought, you know, if we're not careful where there's moves of God, if we're not careful, all of a sudden we'll find ourselves in a place where, where our faith has lapsed, our understanding has, has lapsed. And uh, the, the heads of the, the organizations, the denominations who are writing about divine healing just kind of stood out to me. And we don't want to become an organization where, you know, back in the day, back in the day we believed in divine healing, healing is the atonement, but now we're not seeing it as much. But we want to carry it through to fruition to see everything that God has really prophesied, God has spoken concerning us. And so R.A. Torrey, uh, in his book on divine healing, declares, the atoning death of Jesus Christ secured for us not only physical healing, but the resurrection and perfecting and glorifying of our bodies. Isn't that interesting? Not just physical healing, but resurrection and perfecting and glorifying of our bodies. The gospel of Christ has salvation for the body as well as for the soul. Just as one gets the first fruits of his spiritual salvation in the life that now is, so we get the first fruits of our physical salvation in the life that now is. Individual believers, whether elders or not, have the privilege and the duty to pray for one another in case of sickness with the expectation that God will hear and heal. He said, listen, I love that. He said, individual believers... How many of you are individual believers? He said individual believers, whether elders or not, have the privilege and the duty. The privilege and the duty to pray for one another in the case of sickness with the expectation that God will hear and heal. Come on, we get the privilege and the duty if you're a believer. Jesus told us that, Mark chapter 16, he said, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Amen? Dr. Ari Stanton, a former moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church. How many of you look at the Presbyterian Church as a revival place of healing? We generally don't. 
But back in the early 20s, they were. It said, it's my aim to show that the atonement of Christ lays the foundation equally for deliverance from sin and for deliverance from disease. That the complete provision has been made for both. That the exercise of faith under the conditions prescribed, we have the same reason to believe that the body may be delivered from sickness that we have, that the soul shall be delivered from sin. In short, that both branches, uh, both branches of the deliverance stand on the same ground. And that is necessary to include both in any true conception of what the gospel offers to mankind. The atoning sacrifice of Christ covers the physical as well as the spiritual needs of the race. Healing of the body is not, therefore, a side issue. Healing of the body is not, therefore, a side issue as some represent it. It is no more this than the healing of the soul is a side issue. They are both but parts of the same gospel, based equally upon the same great atonement. Praise the Lord. It says, the following is the report of the commission on spiritual healing appointed by the Episcopal Church. This was sponsored by Bishop Reese, for many years has practiced the healing ministry, and who was chairman of the commission, uh, and commission, the commission states, the healing of the body is an essential element of the gospel and must be preached and practiced. God wills our health that the church, the body of Christ, has the same commission and the same power as the head that we churchmen with this true conception of God as creative love must now give a sinning and suffering world this full gospel of salvation from sin and its inevitable consequences. It goes on to talk about the conclusion. So these guys, they, they were eminent men of the day, but, you know, we look at it, and, and again, I'm not looking at this, trying to make this a, a, a bad negative issue. But if we look at different denominations today, we wouldn't say that they are really, you know, looking at healing and the move of the Spirit of God in, in such a way. But at some point in time, they saw that healing revival and the healing power of God and salvation as being something to be recognized, something to be great. But if we don't recognize them as healing places today, what happened? What happened? And healing is one of those things that if we're not careful, we experience different things and we allow experience to begin to affect our faith in God. We begin to allow people's experience to direct what our faith in God will be. An individual experience, we want to come back to the experience of Christ on the cross and the price that he paid. If we can always return to that place and understand the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross, the fullness of redemption, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
To us who are beginning to experience the fullness of salvation, healing, deliverance, wholeness, restoration, and prosperity. That's what salvation means. To us who understand salvation, it is the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the power of God for salvation, healing, restoration, deliverance, wholeness, and prosperity. It is. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not unto, I'm going to get to go to heaven when I leave this body. No, unto salvation. The power of sin being broken over our life. And when the power of sin is broken, the consequence of sin, the directives of sin, the act that sin begins to bring upon the human body, we're saved from all of that. Amen? We're saved from all of that. And so in Luke chapter 5, I want to pick up on, on some things. I believe that we're entering into a place, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we're talking about some things on Sunday morning, we're, we're entering into a place, but I believe there's a depth of what we're entering into. And I uh, really don't know how to explain it um, because I don't want to get out on too many tangents, but there's a depth of what we're entering into that is a culmination of things. If we look at the, the different times that have taken place and and different revivals that have taken place, and, and, and men that have come through those revivals at different times in different places have prophesied that there will be a, a last day's revival, a last day's move of the Spirit of God. And where we see a revival of, uh, uh, of praying in the Spirit in the Azusa Street, where we see uh, uh, healing revivals take place, where we see a charismatic revival, really where it break, broke down, you know, denominational barriers down. And then we saw a revival of the Word of God and faith where people would stand in line. I mean, I've been to stadiums where people were standing out long, outside stadiums like they were waiting for a concert, but they were waiting to get in to hear the Word of God preached. You don't see that very much anymore. You don't see lines outside of churches and special meetings anymore. We just stand in line. I remember standing in line for three hours in St. Louis in the rain. I went and bought a raincoat in St. Louis. We went to St. Louis, and we weren't expecting rain, and it was raining. We went to the mall. I bought a raincoat and an umbrella to stand in the rain so I could get a good seat to hear the Word of God being preached. There was a move of God in that. There was a, 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 the Spirit of God was urging people to hear the Word of God. Why? Because faith is something that was needed, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we got the Word of God. Then there was a, a joy move of God. There was a revival to restore the joy of the Lord and to strengthen the hearts of people in that. But in all these revivals, in all these places, people have rose, risen up and prophesied that there's coming a last day's revival that is a culmination of everything that God has done before and we like to go back to a certain one that we like but God's bringing a depth of something to where there is faith in God a stable faith in God that causes us to conduct our lives not just in church but outside of the church in believing God every single day trusting God with what with really what his word says standing upon his word and, and walking in that there's a place where the healing power of God is going to be revived in such a way that that you know, only God can do. There's a place where the joy of the Lord to strengthen people as the enemy comes to oppress. There's a breakthrough with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
There'll be such a desire for the Word of God. It'll almost seem like it's hard to satisfy. But as we come, it is satisfiable, right? He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and you'll never thirst again. In other words, he says, if you find the fountain that you can really drink from, you'll never get thirsty again, because when it seems like you are, you know exactly where to go. You know exactly where to get food. You know exactly where to get drink. See, we talk about hungering and thirsting a lot, and I know what that means. That means, you know, get that deep desire for God. But Jesus said this like this, if you know and have that deep desire for God, you never have to thirst again. You never have to get hungry again. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of feeding going on. There's plenty of the Spirit of God to drink from. And it's that place that, that I don't believe we, we have to go, well, I can't wait till it comes. That if you're aware, we're crossing a threshold into something that God is doing that's deeper. Some people have arrived at it. Some people have experienced different facets of it. But there's something that really comes about, and there's a place in the depth of it. Now, I know we're talking, we're, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about healing, but there's a depth of it that has to do with holiness. I really didn't plan on, on talking about this tonight, but just I believe the Spirit of God wants me to. There's a, there's a place, and I know it's not really that popular today, to talk about holiness. But there's a depth of what's going to happen that's going to call us to holiness. To call us to true holiness. Amen. And I know people don't really like it today, but I believe there's a spirit of repentance. And when you look at it, and, and, and you know, our staff's been looking at, we, we have staff devotion, and you look at what the children of Israel did, especially in Judges, and, and they would go away from God, and then they would repent. And really, the, the whole cycle of the children of Israel is we go, we'll go away from God and serve the world, but watch what the pattern is. They repent. God forgives them. God shows up. They begin to walk with God. But if we're not careful, even like we said today, if grace starts to give us a license for immorality, Jude says, watch out for people who come, and grace gives a license for sin or immorality. If we come to the place that we're, we just think we're okay with God, there's not a place of repentance. But when the church comes and says, listen, I haven't been living holy, I repent. There's going to be a depth of the move of God and a release of the power of God like we've not seen in generations. And there's a place in that, if you'll, if you'll look clear back to, I can't remember when we were just going into COVID when we were just coming out of COVID. Jerry Haskell stood up and he, he said it was so on his heart, just in the, in, in the electrical world, that when you have purity, you have pure conductors, power flows Uh, give me a word to explain that, Brad. To conduct, that the power flows more freely, the purer the metal, without what? Without resistance. Without resistance. So where there's not purity, there is resistance to the power. How many of you want to see the power of God? See, we do that as a church. We're like, I want to see the power of God. Okay, let's look at holiness. Eh. When we say, you know what, we want to release the power of God. We kneel down and he begins to wash away. Not anything we can do. Again, that place of holiness, we rise and we are holy as he is holy. Why? Because he's come and he's cleansed our life. And we don't return back to things that create an impurity 
But the blood purifies us, and we stay in that place of what the blood did for us. But as we begin to see and not compromise, there's no resistance to the power. There's no resistance to the power. Amen. So I believe we're stepping in. God's dealing with hearts. There may be a preaching of righteousness, but it's something that God's going to do in the heart. And I know I've seen it. I've seen it in prayer. I've seen it uh, clearly. Sometimes I go like, God, was, did I have bad pizza that day? But I've seen it. I've seen it right here on Sunday night. I've seen it on Sunday night. That people are going to come. I thought, God, how is that going to happen? How are they going to come? That people are going to come. They're just going to arrive in the parking lot. And we're going to begin to worship God. We're going to begin to minister. And people are going to get up out of their chair. And they're going to come to the altar. And they're going to lay their drug paraphernalia down. They're going to lay things down. And they're going to get saved right here. And I'm like, how is that going to happen? Just as I've been looking at it, that as the church, there's no resistance to the power. As the church lays things aside, the church says, I'm laying that aside for purity. We set an example that spiritually starts to generate that we've laid things aside. It's going to create a draw. And these people are going to come and say, I don't know what it is, but i got to lay it aside. Why are they going to come and say, i got to lay it aside? Because we've already led the way and said, I'm laying aside the weight and the sin that's easily besetting me every day. Those insecurities, those weights, those things that I'm carrying around, they're besetting me. They're, they're resistance to the power, and I set them aside. All of a sudden, there's a free flow of power, and that free flow of power always affects something else. Always affects something else. And so we want that free flow of power. We're going to look at it just a little bit because really that power being present changes things. That power being present changes things. So Luke chapter 5. This has really been our foundational text. It said, now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching. Whatever your device is, whatever, highlight that, underline that. Put an asterisk by it. Make it stand out. Jesus was teaching. It doesn't say, and now it happened on a certain day that the Spirit of God was moving in an outward dynamic way. Just stay with me. I love it when the Spirit of God's moving in an outward dynamic way. See, we always kind of get our mind locked in, oh, you said that so we can't have this. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but I'm, I just want to bring this out because we get this way like, oh, man, we need to go somewhere where it's all like, because they're just teaching tonight. Come on, you got to watch what's going on here. He said, it happened while Jesus was teaching that there were certain, uh, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And while Jesus was teaching, while Jesus was teaching, The power of the Lord was present to heal while he was teaching. Now, we need the power power in the presence of God. It says the presence of God is here. How many of you are here in the name of Jesus? All right. So guess what? The power is present right now. Because Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm right there. I'm right there. So we don't want to be like the crowds that we've talked about before. We don't want to just come here 
And the power would be right there. There was crowds all over with the woman with the issue of blood, with blind Bartimaeus. There was crowds everywhere, but they actually couldn't see the Jesus that was in their midst. But the woman with the issue of blood, she knew what, who it was that she was going after. Other people are all around. They don't understand the power that's right there in Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus knew it. We don't want to be in the place of just coming together as a crowd, waiting to see what might happen, but understanding that we come together, that the power is present for whatever we have need of, whatever needs to take place, the power is present. And not set ourselves that it has to be a certain way, but when he's here, he can do what he wants to do. Verse 18, it says, Then behold, men brought uh, uh, on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now listen, highlight this and underline this because of the crowd. Because of the crowd. How many times, again, you can just study this out. I mean, it's not an enormous amount of time, but how many times was Jesus somewhere and somebody needed something, but there was a crowd. But there was a crowd. How many times is it that we need something from Jesus, but there's a crowd? Right? And generally, our crowd isn't people getting in the way. It's crowd. Our emotions get crowded. Our mind gets crowded. Everything, there's just a crowd. There's all kinds of reasons why we can't get to Jesus. Come on. Stay with me. Our mentality, if we're not careful, is, well, Jesus should come to me. Jesus knows what state I'm in. Jesus knows that I'm hurting. Jesus knows that I'm confused. Jesus knows. Why isn't Jesus coming to me? But in all these places, we see that their faith moved them to get to Jesus. Come on. There's instances where Jesus was passing by and he came to them. But when we're talking about people's faith, there was always a crowd. There was always a crowd. I like this one day. I, I remember. I, I remember I was in the other building. I was sitting right there. Larry Hutton was preaching uh, this Luke chapter 5, some aspect of it. As I read through that, just on the inside of me, it was like, look at that. See that? See that? It's harder for faith to get through a religious crowd than it is to take a roof off a building. It's harder for faith to get through religion than it is to take the roof off of a building. That's why we don't want to get into religious thinking. It'll limit, it'll, it'll change the way you believe if you get into religious thinking. But if we put our faith in God and what Jesus can do and what Jesus has said he, he would do. Verse 20, it says, And when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and he said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately, 
He got up. There's some things here that I want you to see. I want you to note because as we go through different scripture, you'll see them. The crowd is there, right? And we see that um, in, the midst of, in the midst of that crowd. Um, but then it says, you know what? They begin to question. He said, he said one thing, right? He said, your sins are forgiven you. And they're like, what do you mean your sins are forgiven you? How can you do that? Who can do that? You just have to realize as you're coming to Jesus, as we approach Jesus and things are said, you have to be careful that all of a sudden the enemy doesn't say, well, who are they to say that? How is that going to help? What difference is that going to make? Because there's always going to be a question. There was always a contradiction. When Jesus showed up somewhere, they would always try to contradict him. But where faith was present, they could not. They just couldn't do it. And so we want to look at a couple of things tonight. We'll just uh, take a few minutes here. But really, as we explore this, we begin to look at healing. There's two things that are really, when they come together, they are unbeatable. When we see this, what happened in this story, and we'll see it take place in other uh, aspects and stories of the New Testament, is the power was present. But the, tower, the power was accessed through faith. And sometimes we just like, man, let's have the, the power and the presence of God here. But the power and the presence of God can be here. But if there's not faith, it's just here. It's just here. You know, we can have power in this building. But if the light switches don't get turned on, it's still dark. Sometimes people are, are looking, they're saying, I'm coming in to see what will happen. But we ourselves have to flip the switch on. I think Brother Hagin used to say it like this, turn the switch of faith on. Because the power is present to heal, but if we don't turn the switch of faith on, if we don't turn on the access to that, and to understand that there's so many things, the power of presence, we're talking about grace in the morning. God has made so much available, but faith makes it possible. So why can't God just do it? Because God has said to us, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And if we're not careful, we get into, you know, we, we, we like to say, I'm not squeezed into the world's mold. I don't do that kind of stuff that the world does. But really, Paul wasn't too worried about, as concerned about you doing those outward things that the world does. He was more concerned about how we get squeezed into the ideology and the thought process of the world. And if we're not careful, we get, come in the church to an entitlement mentality. I showed up, so I'm just entitled to get whatever God has. But you can't get God's blessing the world's way. You can't get God's blessing your way. We access God's blessing God's way. And so he said, listen, I've made everything that you need available. I've made uh, grace available to do anything that you have need of, but you have to access it by faith. You have to believe for it. And not just say you believe. There's something that goes on in your heart. There's a spiritual aspect of faith that really turns a believing. It's not just like, okay, God, I trust you. The word of God comes into your heart. And when you receive it into your heart, it begins to start to take root and take hold and, and become stability to you that at any place you're saying, I believe you. Look at the circumstances around me. I believe you. 
When it seems discouraging, I begin to praise you and I begin to glorify you because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are able to perform that which you promise. The enemy will come and say, can God really perform what what he promised? If he can, why isn't he doing it? What's he doing? Now, again, I asked you last week after Pastor Tasha finished with Hebrews 11, I said, just just think about that. Go read some of those stories. Meditate on it. Because if you read it and you just go, these men of faith, that was it. I mean, God told them to build an ark, and he built an ark. Really, the only one that you read about is Enoch got close to God, and he just stepped right off. It's like, I got so close to God, I ate this world. I'm just stepping off. But all those other people that he talked about, God told them to do something, and they had all kinds of resistance. All kinds of resistance. They had to come back to what God said. They had to believe God. They had to stand on what God promised them. They had to encourage themselves over and over that if God said it, God could do it through them. The circumstances rarely lent themselves to the fact that like, okay, God, you're doing it. I can cruise. No. The circumstances said, this ain't going to happen. But they went back and said, God, you said it would happen. And every act of obedience through believing, every act of obedience through believing. See, faith isn't just saying I believe, but faith is getting to the place that I believe to the point of obedience. And at every point of act of obedience through believing, God met them right there and gave them victory. There's a place where we move from what we know, and most of you have been in Bible school, from that mental ascent of saying, all right, I heard that, and I believe that, and I'm hoping, and I'm a-wishing, and I'm a-praying, that all of a sudden it drops from that place into your heart, from mental ascent to heart-believing. And it's really the, the manifestation of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now Faith is the substance of the thing you hope for. But continued in, it's the proof of what you do not see. So most of us get to that point of saying, whoo, I'm hoping. I'm expecting. But when it doesn't happen in our timing, we start to go, well, maybe it didn't happen. But faith takes you from expectation all the way to manifestation. Come on, say with me, faith takes you all the way from expectation to manifestation. The first thing that you should get from the Word of God is an expectation. If you need healing in your body, an expectation, Jesus is the healer. By his stripes, I am healed. If I am healed, if I was healed at the cross, then I am healed. If I was healed when he took stripes on his back, it was purchased, then I'm healed right now. I'm expecting a manifestation of healing. But listen, when it doesn't happen tomorrow... Are you still saying, by his stripes, I'm healed? Because his faith will take you all the way from that expectation. Why does it have to be that way? Because you have to have an expectation before you can ever see a manifestation. So God primes you. He speaks the word out in front of you. Just like Abraham, who's the father of our faith. He said, you'll be the father of many nations. Look at the stars of the sky. Look at the sands of the sea. What did he do? He created an expectation. He even got him so excited about the expectation. He's like, let's do it. He got Sarah. Let's do it. How are we going to do it? I don't know. Take my handmaiden. Let's just do it. We have such an expectation. Oops. See, we got expectation. 
But he said, now you're just going to have to believe me. Don't, don't get over there and start believing in your own ability to make it happen. Stay in obedience. Walk with me, and we'll go from your expectation right into manifestation. And with faith comes in contact with the power of God, something always happens. When faith comes in contact with the power of God, something always happens. We see that right here. The power of God was present to heal all of them, but they, weren't ha- they didn't have faith. They were, they were debating, how can you do this? How can you say the things you're saying? They were, they were listening. The power was right there, whatever they needed. I believe that there was people in that room, Pharisees in that room, doctors of the law in that room that needed healing. And yet they're so concerned about religion and the right answers to the right questions that they're missing the boat altogether. And then these other guys are just like, we don't care about the debate. The power's in that room to get our friend healed. Come on, when we get past whether or not this person is just right, whether the notes are just right, whether I got the right parking spot, whether somebody looked at me just right, greeted me just right, treated me just right, was everything just right? Did he articulate that just right? Was everything just time just right? Was everything just right? Oh, my goodness. Was there, Oh, no, everything wasn't right, and I didn't even really get nothing, and I really didn't even get fed. I maybe need to do something else. I need to go find somewhere where, where it's happening. No, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there to make it happen. But if we get into, is everything just right? How's that working? What did they say? How did they look at me? How do they feel? All of a sudden, we come in and say, the power is present. And I'm determined to believe God. If I don't know how to believe God, that's why I'm here, to hear the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Praise the Lord. So if they're an unbeatable team, what's the obstacle that will try to stop you? Usually the greatest obstacle to our faith is the lack of knowledge. Turn over to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. In verse 6, it says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. Now, that's pretty harsh. So my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13. He says, therefore, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. And then he goes on to say some things. He said they've gone into captivity because of their lack of knowledge. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we're getting that head knowledge, but really when we come down to it, what God wants us to do is not only have a knowledge of what he's done, but to embrace that knowledge so that it becomes experiential knowledge, not just head knowledge. Well, I know that it says that, but I begin to move into the place where what God has said, I begin to experience and understand that. And so in Second Peter, it says that everything that pertains to life and godliness belongs to us. 
He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, through the knowledge of him. Everything's made available. Everything that you you and I need is made available. But how do we access it? Through the knowledge of him. As we gain a knowledge of his word, faith is developed in our heart. So we access it by faith, but how do we get faith? We get faith through the knowledge of him. So F.F. Bosworth said this. I love this quote, and if you've gone to Bible school, you know it. You know it by heart. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known, where the will of God is known. Not where the will of God is just perceived, not where I've heard about it, but where the will of God is known. Uh, Right before that, he says, the power of God can only be claimed where the will of God is known. The power can be present, but the power being claimed and accessed can only be done where the will of God is known. The obstacle, really, to accessing the power of God is the knowledge of God. And so we've had a lot of teaching, well, maybe healing's not for you. Maybe healing's not for today. Maybe you did too many wrong things, and this is the way God's going to punish you. You know, maybe healing was for back then. That healing has gone away. If you get that teaching, well, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I've done things that are wrong. Maybe God doesn't want me healed. Maybe it's not God's will for me to be healed then your knowledge of what God has for you is messed up and it's going to be difficult to tap into that healing power of God. The power of God can be claimed where the will of God is known. We begin to look into the word of God. It always created a question in my mind, even just as a uh, 17-year-old young adult, uh, teenager, when I got into the word of God and really uh, when I first got into the word of God, I got saved at 15. uh, People just said, you're going to heaven Go to church or going to heaven, but I didn't learn a lot. And then, then I began to learn about uh, experience uh, life with Jesus. And one of the first things was his healing power. And began to look into that, that healing power and know that it was God's will. And how people read through the Bible. And I'd come up in denominational churches. Well, maybe it's not God's will to heal you right now. That healing stuff went away in the book of Acts. You know, it's not the same. And I started reading the Bible. And I thought, how did they ever come to that conclusion? How did they ever come to that conclusion? How did they ever come to that it passed away? They said, well, Jesus did it, but people can't do it. Well, all of a sudden, you read the apostles. I mean, the book of Acts. What do you do with the book of Acts? And they're like, well, it was for the apostles. Well, keep reading in the book of Acts. People who weren't even apostles were healing people. But if your knowledge is, well, that's not for me. It's not God's will. How are you going to tap into the power of God? Why? Because there's always a question, maybe this is not for me. Maybe this is not for me. All right, I got to figure out somewhere to tie this off. Praise the Lord. And so really where there's a lack of knowledge, we have to understand where there's a lack of knowledge, the enemy, understand this, that the power of darkness, we've been delivered from the power of darkness. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that we've been delivered from the power of darkness. The power of darkness is ignorance and deception, right? When light comes, there's revelation. Where there's darkness, there's no seeing. There's ignorance and deception. So we've been delivered from the power of darkness. So where there is no knowledge, the enemy puts yokes of bondage on people. Yokes of bondage on people. Yokes of bondage. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 10. We'll try to wrap it up here. I got off on a tangent there at the beginning. 
Isaiah chapter 10. In verse 27, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Because of the anointing. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. And so what a, what a yoke is, is really a yoke in their terminology. You know, you, you can see it. There's pictures of it. We've showed it before. Anyway, you know, it's a big old heavy wooden thing, and it has a... Uh, uh, thing around anyway they yoked oxen together they yoked mules together and they would generally yoke them together the stronger with the younger and the younger would have to go along with the the stronger and he would just follow they're yoked together they can't get apart from each other and so they're laboring together the yoke with oxen they're laboring together and so he says the enemy the enemy's desire is to yoke you through ignorance to his plan for your life which leads to destruction and to burden you down, right, with heavy work, heavy laden, to weigh you down with the affairs of life. And how are you ever going to handle that? And what are you ever going to do? And you can't do it. And it's, it's all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you get tired. You get heavy. And even when you come to church and you're like, oh, here's just another thing to do. That's the enemy lying to you. That's ignorance and deception. Oh, here we got another preacher. There's another thing to do. No, there's something that you get to do with Jesus and the power of God. But if you're not understanding that and allowing the power and the grace of God to come upon you, you feel yoked to the enemy and it's heavy. But Jesus said this, turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And this has everything to do with understanding our healing. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody in here, you just labored over some things? Even where sickness and disease has come in. Physically, you can study it. You can, you can study it. It doesn't have to get even super spiritual. You can just start to st study. When you're carrying worry, when you're carrying stress, when you're carrying cares of the world, it begins to affect your physical body. See, the enemy wants you to start carrying things that you weren't equipped to carry so that your body begins to take on that which it was not equipped to take on. That when your body begins to take on that which it was not equipped to take on, it begins to break down under the pressure and the weight of that. And so Jesus said, listen, don't walk through life with all those cares, with all those worries, with all those stresses. Come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Thank you for your enthusiasm. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Quit learning from the world. Quit being pressured from the world. Come to Jesus. Yoke yourself to him and learn from him. Here's a man that in three and a half years accomplished so much for the kingdom of God that books can't even contain. Libraries couldn't even contain how much he did in three and a half years. And we're like, oh my God, I go to work every day. I am burned out. I'm so burned out. Why? Because the devil's trying to wear you down and burn you out. But he said, listen, learn from me. I can show you how in a short period of time to get more done than you ever dreamed possible. 
Why would he want you to get more done than you ever dreamed possible? Why would he want you to be out from under stress and condemnation and guilt underneath all that stuff that weighs you down? Because he has a plan for you to do more in ministering to others than you ever dreamed possible. In influencing others, affecting the lives of others. But when you're weighed down and you can't move, you can't take on, how am I going to help somebody else? I can't even help myself. And he says, listen, learn from me how God will take all of that off of you forgive you, equip you. You'll be able to do what's before you to do. You'll be able to do the work that's before you to do efficiently and effectively and have time left over to bless someone else. He wants to keep you healthy. He said, learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, when we get to, we've listened to a lie. Listen, being a Christian is hard, man. Going to church, working in the church, man, that'll just burn you out. That's just hard. It's really a lie. It's the enemy's trying to do that. And I mean, this is all sincerity to pastor. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. But when people say, you know what, if I take another thing at church, it's just going to, it's just too much. Well, if you're at church, I mean, just, just do the math. If you're at church helping even six hours a week, which is, if you're not paid staff, that would be a lot a week to really be working at the church. How much else, how many other hours of the week do you have? Where are you spending all those other hours of the week and how much pressure and how much stuff are they putting on you? Is it really his yoke that's heavy? Or is it the world's yoke that's heavy trying to destroy you? And Jesus said, come to me, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. When you're connected to him and he begins to make life and the challenges of life resolvable and easy, health springs forth in your mortal body. Health springs forth in your mortal body. Again, because the burdens of life, just study it, the burdens of life, the anxieties and stresses of life, the worries of life, the things you run into and people's challenging you to do things when you get offended, all those things, they begin to work sickness and disease in the human body. They begin to weaken your immune system. Seriously. Y'all are looking at me like a calf in a Newgate. Maybe you just know this well enough. They weaken your immune system. We'll get into it a little bit. There's scripture here that's translated. When we get to worrying about what everybody else is doing, when we get to gossiping, when we get to be stressed out, we get to talking about everything. It actually says it really works on your immune system. But get this. Joy. Everybody say joy. Joy, joy strengthens your immune system. A merry heart does good like a medicine. Well, I can't rejoice right now. You don't know the trouble I have. Yes, God knows that. That trouble you have is trying to destroy you. Joy will break that yoke. Finding the place to access the anointing to destroy that yoke and yoke yourself to him. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry, I didn't do a very good job of tying that off. But just knowing me, if I try to tie it off anymore, we'll be here till 9 o'clock. <laughs> Glory to God. God wants to do something powerful. Amen? And he is doing something powerful. And if we can look at that and say, you know what? Watch. Faith is in your heart and in your mouth. Just watch saying, I'm so tired. I'm so wore out. If you are, just begin to come to him and say, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you to give me rest. I'm coming to you, and I'm seeking after you. 
I'm waiting on you, so to speak. I'm not waiting for you. I'm waiting on you. And you're renewing my strength. You're renewing my strength. So we're not in that place where the enemy's just yoked us to this heavy, burdensome life as Christians, but we're breaking that yoke off, that the anointing is coming in. As we praise and we worship, there's an anointing oil that comes and breaks off those yokes of bondage. We find ourselves yoked to him. And his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. Father, I thank you right now.